Today we begin a series of messages called Vision. In particular, we're going to be talking today about increasing your vision. But first of all, let me ask you, how many of you have ever heard of Google? Heard of Google? I remember the very first time that I ever heard about Google. Of all places, I read about it in Yahoo! magazine. And and, and guess what? Yahoo! used to have a magazine. I read this article back in 1999, so it's almost 10 years old. It talked about a new website that was coming from an upstart company founded by a couple of college kids that had a very unique uh, approach to Internet search. I remember that the article said that Google was a good search engine, but there was no way to monetize it. In other words, there was no way to make money off of Google. So the article's conclusion was that Google was a novelty. It uh, provided a good search function, but it didn't have much marketing potential. Well, I guess seeing all the hands go up, you know how the story turns out. And looking at their history, it's actually pretty amazing to see the vision that these young college kids had over 10 years ago. Their vision gave them the boldness to break convention and to attempt the unimaginable. Ten years ago, conventional wisdom was that you had to have a lot of flashy, animated, loud, annoying ads. If your, and if your ads weren't obnoxious, people weren't going to click on them. And if you've surfed the web much today, you know that many commercial websites still do that. Those loud, annoying, flashing ads trying to encourage you to click on them. Google, on the other hand, said, we'll offer nothing but search, and on the results page, we'll put some quiet little text ads over here so they don't bother anyone who isn't interested. And from that simple little concept, two college kids have turned that into a multi-billion dollar empire. And as you read about Google on their corporate website, you can do that today, you'll find a page where they talk about their goals and their objectives, and their missions. And here they offer a list of ten things that they have found to be true. Now, I put just three of them up there for you. One, they say, is focus on the user, and all else will follow. They said it's also best to do one thing really, really well. And they also say, fast is better than slow. Now, you're probably wondering, why... Am I going on and on about Google.com this morning? Well, it's because they illustrate the principle that we'll be talking about today and really for the next few weeks. For three weeks, we're going to talk about how to be people of vision because that's what the Bible calls us to be. You know, how to develop our vision, how to share our vision, and how to put our vision to work, not only as individuals, as Christ followers, as people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, but also corporately, as we do it as a church known as First Lutheran. Now, I think most of you understand that companies who do vision right become successful. We see it with Google. You see it with any number of other companies. I've been around long enough to tell you that churches that do vision right change lives. They change communities, and they even have the ability to change the world. And individuals, particularly those who follow Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who do vision right, tend to accomplish more. They influence other people, not only for the generations to come, but more importantly, 
they influence them for eternity. Every man, woman, and child, every organization and every entity needs to have vision. Proverbs chapter 29, 18. A, actually, the first part of the verse. Many of you know this. You've seen this verse for years. It's translated best in the King James where it says, For without a vision, the people perish. Just think about that for a moment. Without a vision, the people perish. Now, interestingly enough, that word vision can also be translated revelation. In fact, in some newer translations, it says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. In other words, when they have no idea of the future, they kind of do as they please, which isn't necessarily good. Well, revelation and vision are similar. If you're a follower of Jesus, then your vision for your life must come from a revelation of God. For the follower of Jesus, being a person of vision means that you have caught hold of God's dream for your life. Now, we know that there is one basic dream for every Christian, every last one here today who confesses Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That one vision, of course, is heaven. But God didn't just put you on earth for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 110, 20 years, whatever, just to waste space and steal other people's oxygen. He also put you here to accomplish some purposes as well. Now, we've talked about many of those. Some of them are broad-reaching, like making disciples of all nations, spreading the gospel. But I believe that God also has personal visions and missions for each and every person here. You need to catch hold of God's dream, if you will, for your life. And if you're like most people, you have already have at least some vision for your future. You already have an idea of what it is that you would like to accomplish in your life. Now, unfortunately, a lot of people have not made a connection between what they'd like to accomplish in their life with who they are as a Christian. Now, this morning, I'm going to share just three characteristics of great vision. And when you apply these principles uh, to things that matter most, I think your life kind of jumps into overdrive. It kind of revolutionizes your family, your business, your spiritual life, and your personal life. So let me share these three. Here's the very first one. The key to maximizing your vision is focus. Now, you see a picture up there from a movie. Some of you probably recognize that old movie. It's called City Slickers. And in that movie, uh, two of the stars were Billy Crystal. He's the one with the New York Mets baseball hat. And the one with the cowboy hat is the old uh, actor Jack Palance. And Jack played the role of a guy named Curly. And they're riding on the horses one day, and some of you remember this. Uh, Curly says to Billy Crystal, do you know what the secret of life is? And Crystal says no, and Jack Palance holds up one finger, and he says this. This is the secret to life. Just one thing. You stick to that, and everything else is meaningless. Now, Billy Crystal in the movie says, well, that's great, but what is that one thing? Curly says, that's what you've got to figure out. Now, as I mentioned before, Google is successful because they figured it out. It was a matter of 
focus, like a laser beam focus. The one thing for them was developing the fastest, biggest, most accurate search engine on the planet. Everything else to them is in second place. Here's my difficult question for you on the very first Sunday in 2010. What's your one thing? What's your one thing? What is the one thing that you as a follower of Jesus Christ, what is that that you want to pursue in your life more than anything else? What would you like to connect your faith in Christ to to make an even greater impact in his name and in his kingdom? Frederick Buchner who's a, a Christian uh, a couple of hundred years ago, said, God calls us to the place where our deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Now just think about that. God calls us to a place where our deep gladness, that which excites us the most, and where the world's deepest hunger is. Now what would you expect that the world's deepest hunger might be? I got news for you. It's not fried food. It probably, because they've got a whole shape, they've got a heart with a whole shape piece missing. And what's missing in their life is Jesus Christ. Now, if you've got Jesus and you are happy about it, what could you be doing to bring that to them? Particularly, in the calling that you feel God has on your life right now. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talked about the one thing in his life. For Paul, it was the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said in verse 16, Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. That's what Paul said. God's wired me to be a preacher, he said. And and, and really, when I think about it, Paul says he's wired me to preach to the Gentile people. Woe to me if I don't do that for him. And as you read through 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul talks about all kinds of strategies that he's adopted and some of the sacrifices that he actually made in his life. In order to do it, in fact, in verse 23, he said, I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Now, to share in the fullness of the gospel by sharing the gospel with other people, that's what motivated Paul. And that's what really ought to motivate us in whatever calling we find ourselves in. It was Paul's one thing, the focus of his life. It's what he lived to do. It's what he lived to accomplish. So I want you to ask yourself, what will be the focus in your life in whatever calling you happen to find yourself in today? I mean, what is the one thing you could pursue with more passion than anything else? What would be your top priority, not only for this year, but for your life to come? Now, in order to accomplish the most with your life, we need to schedule as many of what I call focus days as possible. You might wonder what a focus day is. 
Well, to me, a focus day is a day that you spend probably about 80% of your time doing that one thing that God has called you to do. Now, some of you probably say, well, hold it, Pastor. i got a full-time job. How can I spend 80% of my time doing what God has called me to do? Well, have you ever thought about doing what you can do for God through your job? I mean, it's not just a pastor who can commit to 80% of his time to doing, you know, gospel work. I'm looking around and I see people who are doing a variety of things. I, I know what many of you do, whether it's in the plumbing business or whether it's in the construction business or, you know, whether you're, you're leading women's Bible studies or whether you're teaching in the school or whether you're a student in a school or whether you work at Albertsons or whether you're nurses, you know, whether you're working on a ranch or whatever. Yeah, but what can you be doing there? For the glory of God to extend his kingdom. Is there something that God could call you to do through that? See, our lives are complicated and cluttered, and we have lots of responsibilities, no doubt about it. And and some of them are mind-numbingly trivial. Uh, Even as a pastor, some of the activities that I have to take care of are mind-numbingly trivial. I hate filling out forms. I hate, you know, paperwork. And if you're not careful, it's easy to get caught up in the so-called administrivia of your job. And it kind of takes over your, your entire schedule. And that's why you need to really kind of focus in to spend the majority. For a Christian, it would be targeting as many days as you could, spending 80% of your time figuring out how you can use what God has called you to be, to do, to glorify his name, to extend his kingdom. Well, there's a second key to this, and it's direction. It's direction. Uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson one time said, The world makes a way for a man who knows where he is going. Uh, I used to work uh, for the maintenance crew at the college when I was in high school and in college. And I worked with a guy who gave me a really great piece of advice. And he said, Always carry a tool and walk like you know where you're going. And he said, that's got me out of so much work. And I, it suddenly dawned on me. I'd always seen him with a hammer in his hand, a screwdriver in his hand, a wrench in his always walking in a hurry like he was going somewhere. Well, direction. In order for us to be people of vision, we need to be people of direction. That means we need to have an idea of what our destination looks like, an idea of how, where our vision would ultimately take us. John Maxwell, who's a Christian author, written a lot of leadership books, a lot of Christian books. When he became pastor of his first church, he did something that's kind of interesting. He met privately with each elder of his church, the leadership group. Had a private meeting with each elder. There were 12 elders on his elder board, and he asked them to tell him to articulate the church's vision. He got back eight different answers. Now, obviously, a team can't move forward if they're all moving in eight different directions. And so a challenge for a church, for example, every church is that the pastors and the leaders, and I'll say the active members, the active members must have a unified idea of where we're going. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's the purpose of this month to be able to spell out some things to say, this is where we're going. I mean, sometimes churches get torn apart by factions trying to move in different directions. This group wants this, and this group wants that, and the next thing you know, you've got all kinds of nonsense going on in a church. 
when a church has several subsets trying to move in different directions, the church always loses sight of its calling to which it's been called, and it ends up just being another building with a bunch of people on a Sunday morning. And God forbid that that would ever happen to First Lutheran, that we'd just be one more building with a few people sitting in it on a Sunday morning. We cannot lose sight of the calling that God has for this church. God has called all of us to so much more. It's our responsibility and our obligation to know where we're going and how, by God's grace, we're actually going to get there. That's why Paul said, I don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. I've got a purpose and an intentionality about my life. See, Paul knew where he was going. He had a strategy for getting there. And as a church, we need to know. We need to have a strategy for getting there, too. The same goes for your life. What's the purpose? What's the strategy? That part of the vision involves dreaming. A little bit of imagination and a little bit of thinking really big. That's why I put this, the $5 challenge up here. I have been so impressed by what I have seen people in this church do. I'm not going to talk a lot about that yet this morning. That's going to come in a further message. But there are some people who got, no, they got focused in on, a, on something that they could do for God. They gave it some direction. And then, boom, all of a sudden, things began to happen. Some really cool things that are going to blow you away when you hear about it. All the way from things that seem to be very simple to things that be very complex. But let me tell you about another church that did something similar. First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, decided to have a, an outreach program. And they asked members to volunteer to be a part of a massive evangelism outreach program, which meant 90% of the people wanted nothing to do with it. But of the 10% who said, count me in, one of them was a 10-year-old boy by the name of Jackson Rogers. When they got to the meeting, the plan was very simple. The pastor gave each of them not $5, but gave each of them $100 and challenged them to use the money in some capacity to further God's kingdom. Let me tell you what Jackson Rogers did. He accepted the money and he turned his $100 into $50,000 Enough to build a Habitat for Humanity home in San Antonio. Now, how did he do it? Well, he had focus. He knew what he wanted to do for the Lord. He needed some direction. He bought as much paper and as much stationery and as many stamps as he could with that money. And he began writing hundreds of letters to friends and relatives, asking them to contribute to this project. Some people sent in money. Some people sent checks. Some people actually forwarded his letter to other family and friends inviting them to participate. And in just two weeks' time, Jackson's letter raised $43,000. Now, it was a little bit short of the goal, so the church decided it would take up a special offering for another 7000 But, you know, this boy single-handedly designed and implemented a successful evangelism campaign to reach into the community, to build a house for needy people. That's the power of a vision that's fueled by focus and by direction. Now, there's a third part of this, and it's expansion. The best goals are the goals that are bigger than you are. What are your goals for life? I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that a pastor friend of mine 
ask me about the goals I've set for myself this year and the goals I've set for this church. Those goals you'll hear about later. And he said he'd been somewhere where he heard somebody say that if you have numbers in any of your goals, add a zero to it. For example, he said, if you are, are intending to baptize ten people this year, add a zero to it. And that's not 0.10 then, it's 100 baptisms. Or if you're going to, now I don't know how you're going to do this, you say your goal is to uh, lose 20 pounds and you put a zero and it's 200 and you only weigh 150. I mean, that obviously doesn't work. But are your goals big? Are they big enough? Do they stretch you? Do they move you into the realm of impossibility where only God's power can actually work? I remember in the last building program that I was associated with in our previous church, we said we wanted to do something so big that it could only be accomplished if God was involved. That's about the way it turned out. And it really stretched some people. Think about it from the Bible, for example, like Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. He was a slave living in Babylon who got the idea that he could rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and restore the glory of that holy city of Jerusalem. Or think of young little David, the red-headed little kid whose job was watching sheep. He had a vision that he could be a man victorious in battle, and he was, beating that nine-and-a-half-foot-tall giant, Goliath. Or like it did for the Apostle Paul, who had this vision of preaching the gospel and planting churches and seeing Christianity spread through the known world. See, great people are great people of vision. And I believe one of the marks of spiritual maturity for all of us is the ability to dream big dreams. Not only for our church, but for ourselves also spiritually. I like what I heard someone say recently. He said, if you can accomplish all your goals in a year or two, your goals are too small. If I just dare you to dream a big dream, I dare you to develop a tremendous vision for what God can accomplish. You know, one that is so audacious that you're forced to believe Paul's words. You know, Paul's words that God is able to do more than we ask for or imagine according to his power that is work within us. You've probably been wondering what that red paper clip has to do with anything. Actually, I just put it up there to keep you occupied. No, I didn't. Let me tell you about Kyle McDonald. Kyle McDonald was broke when he got the idea that he'd take a single red paper clip and he would trade it for something better. And then what he traded for, he'd trade it for something better than that, and he'd see how far it would take him. His first trade was he traded that red paper clip for a doorknob. Not a big deal. His second trade, he traded a doorknob for a Coleman camping stove that didn't really work when he got it. His third trade was the Coleman stove for an electric generator. He continued to trade his way up until 14 months later he made his last trade for a two-story, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house in Saskatchewan, Canada. That's a pretty incredible story, isn't it? A paperclip for a two-story, three-bedroom, two-bathroom house. But as incredible as it is, think how much more incredible your story can be if you're pursuing 
a God-given vision designed to do something great for his glory. Now, in order to be God's people of vision, we need to be people who think big beyond ourselves. We need to learn to live with a sense of expectation. Let me ask you, what are you expecting God to do in your life this year? What are you expecting God to do in this church this year? Have you even thought about that? Or were you hoping that the pastor would come up with something? That was your expectation. I expect Barry to deal with it. (laughs) Got news for you folks. If you expect me to do it, we're in deep weeds. It's all of us. What do we expect God to do in our lives this year? What do we expect God to do in this church? We need to learn to live with this kind of sense of expectation. Not because we want to be impressed with ourselves or build a monument to ourselves, but because we are impressed with the faithfulness and the power of of our Almighty God. We need to develop a sense of determination where we think big, dream big, and and take this thing as far as God wants to take it. In fact, quite often when we dream big and we start out, God will take it in a whole different new direction because God always knows best. That's why Paul said in verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way to get the prize. Well, friends, we know that as we run our race in Jesus Christ, as we stay faithful to him and to his word, we are going to get a prize someday. It's when we enter heaven and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. But along the way, will we have opportunities to win other prizes, to win other people for Jesus Christ? Now, we know that we can't save anybody. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But what can we do in our lives, in our jobs, in our church that maybe someday when we got to heaven somebody would come up and they'd look at us and they'd come up and they'd shake our hand and say thank you thank you for sharing the gospel with me and maybe you'd look at them and you'd say man I don't remember how I did that I was just there to check the plumbing in your house (laughs) and maybe they'd say well Ted but you, you were so nice to us and you were so fair to us and you were so gracious to us we just knew that there had to be something and we knew you were a member of First Lutheran and we didn't necessarily want to become Lutheran, but we went to a church and we got to know Jesus. Maybe it's something simple like that. You know, as I look out at you and I see many of you again, where you are, you have these great opportunities that you may never realize but just rubbing shoulders with people by, you know, acting like a Christian, if there's such a thing, will do to influence the lives of someone else for Jesus. We run a race. But we want to take as many people with us as possible. Monty Roberts, some of you may know, is an internationally known horse trainer. Uh, The BBC did a documentary on him a few years ago. He's called the Real Horse Whisperer. When Monty Roberts was just a little boy, he was living in a camper on the back of a pickup truck. He had a dream of someday owning a ranch filled with horses. Uh, He wrote about his dream once for a sixth-grade assignment. His teacher gave him an F. The reason his teacher gave him an F was because his dream was too far-fetched, that he could never possibly, being the young man he was, ever realistically hope to amass enough money to buy the land, the breeding stock, and the equipment, and, and to pay the necessary salaries to run a horse farm. 
But his teacher said, I am going to extend some grace to you, young man. I'll allow you to rewrite your paper for a higher grade. And Monty Roberts said, teacher, you keep the F, I'll keep the dream. See, my prayer for you, friends, is that, if he hasn't already, that God will give you a dream. That he'll give you a vision of what your life can be. I mean, think about what really matters to you. That one thing and decide today that you will focus on it, doing it above and beyond anything else. Think about where that one thing can lead you and how you're going to get there. Get serious about the direction that you're taking in your life and decide now where you want to go and what you want to be and how you can possibly influence people along the way. And don't be afraid to think big, to dream big, to hope big, to plan big, and to believe big because you got a big God. We serve a great big God. And believe me, friends, when I tell you that he is eager to do great things in your life as you run the race. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for calling us into your kingdom through the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your son, whose birth we celebrated at Christmas time. We thank you for drawing us into your family to make us sons and daughters of the kings, brothers and sisters of Christ. You've certainly given us a goal and a vision of that of reaching heaven to where someday you would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. But along the way, Father, you've called us to be and to do for you, to be your eyes and ears and hands and feet and witnesses in this world. May that one great thing be in our life, how to share Jesus, how to glorify his name, how to extend his kingdom, and no matter what position we find ourselves in, whether we are students or whether we are laborers, whether we're factory workers, whether we're white-collar workers, whether we are stay-at-home moms or grandmas and grandpas or whatever. I mean, give us a vision to run the race and to run it well. In Jesus' name, amen.